Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Mike Williams and Parker Dillman. This is episode 95. So Stephen is in Tijuana, so we have Mike Williams on. Glad to be back. (laughs) (laughs) I had so much fun the last time that I decided that uh, I should come back. You're the only person I asked today and didn't say no. I don't know why anybody would say no to this. <laughs> There's beer. <laughs> so, Williams, you didn't actually didn't talk about this last time on the podcast, but what is this hacker box that you get in the mail? Oh, it's that a, sounds like an ad. It, well, it <laughs> probably they sh- that we should be at least get like, what was the thing last week with Al Williams? Everybody's giving us T-shirts, so yeah, I should I at wish. least get a T-shirt for for this. Yeah, so what um, is, you you mentioned it that you want to talk about it. So yeah, it's just a. Um, you know, something to keep me playing with a little bit of hardware uh, on a regular basis and learning new things. Um, it's um, basically a surprise box that comes in the mail every oh, month. Oh, it's a loot crate. That's what the kids call it nowadays. What do they call that? Loot crates. Loot crates. Loot. Loot crates. L-O-O-T. Okay. Yes, it's a, it's a loot crate, I guess. And it's basically, you know, they, they put together a theme of gadgets and gizmos to play with every month and this month was um the uh they call it vision quest and it's basically a little arduino nano and a camera and a pan tilt head so that you can oh, so control they give you everything yeah they give you everything all as a, like a little complete it's not really a kit because you don't you know they don't say plug this into that uh but they give you all the tools that you need to to get going tr- play with a specific uh theme or or activity that month and this month it was computer vision and oh cool they've got links to open cv and all that fun they stuff. they teach you how to like install open cv and stuff yep they walk you they, they they depending on how much you want to get involved with any one of the different steps you can either uh-huh. wing it yourself completely just play with the stuff right out of the box or you can follow some of their yeah, um some stuff. steps that yeah help you yeah, out help you walk through it and get your feet wet before you start going off onto your own projects yeah yeah, yeah. And it's coming like a little box or something like that. Yeah, it's a little box about yay big. People that listening totally know what size that was. <laughs> you know, yay. Bigger yeah. than a bread. No, it's actually smaller than a bread box. So it's I'd say it's about six inches by four inches by two or three inches. Okay. Yeah. Does it have any cool things on the outside of it? The occasional sticker. Occasional sticker? Okay, cool. Yeah. And they usually give you a couple stickers along yeah. with it. Uh, how much does one of those cost? I'd have to look at the price. Um, I think it's like forty bucks a month you pay oh, for it, that's not and bad. then you you know because they are able to do um, all sorts of uh, volume buying and, and yeah. package it up all at once. You get it usually a little cheaper than if you'd have bought all the oh. stuff yourself. Yeah, a la carte. Yeah, so that's yeah. So and and it keeps all the you know toys coming every month. Oh yeah, no, that way you can you get you spend your. Um, your budget allocation for gadgets and gizmos automatically shows up. Exactly. <laughs> Just give me toys. That's yep. that's what they call me. Get my my sign on on some of the like GitHub and all those gadget junkies. So gadget junkie. It, it's fitting. Yeah. So yeah, well, you got to bring that by and so yeah, I'll bring it in. Take a look at it. It'll be fun. Yeah. So on, I guess they assume you were plugging this into a PC then. Um, it, it came with a Dano. Yeah, well, yeah, it came with a nano. You do need a computer for this particular one. They usually have some sort of little dev board that you need to program from a computer. Gotcha. I don't know if it's PC-specific or if it'll work with my Mac or whatever, but... Yeah. Cool. I like the name. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
project I've been working on for a long, long time, the Pinhack board. Okay. The Rev 8 and the line. Um, almost done. I finished a schematic over the weekend. So, like, you know, grafting the Raspberry Pi 3 on or compute module onto right. it. And got all all the interchange up because, you know, we ripped the prop off the board. And so we had to reconfigure some of the data lines that go yeah. over. And it so freed we, up a bunch of space, and then you're proceeding to use all of oh, that and then up. more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so I, fin you know, finished all the net listing, got all that working, and then... Um, uh, added some, there was some extra features we wanted to add, so we added that in onto the schematic and made sure there was going to be enough board layout space because mm -hmm. um, we pretty much used all what we had left over on just the Raspberry Pi compute module because it's pretty big. It's like a four-inch by two-inch And it's parts. got a lot of connections on there too, right? Yeah, 200 some odd parts. Yeah. Over, over 100 of those are like ground connections. Oof. And so I actually routed all the ground connections over the weekend too just to get that out of the way. Um and then got the LVDS set up, routed. I just let the, like bulk routing. I was just like doing 90 degrees, just making sure stuff would fit. Mm -hmm. And I had enough clearance uh, around some of the other uh, spots. Well, you don't want to do it totally 90 degrees because then it like hits, oh, yeah, the, so hits the corner instead of going smoothly around the corner. Because <laughs> electrons care. <laughs> yeah. um, electrons are like, electrons are like, um, they would be like the, the uh, muscle car. Mm -hmm. They only go in they a straight, go straight line. line. They right. go straight line. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're not like <laughs> one of those little English sports car <laughs> electrons that can make it around those tight turns. Yeah. <laughs> or well, something. no, because okay, this is going to get way off and like explaining a joke that I'm going to. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, I'm going to do it. So, you know, electrons have different spin. Mm -hmm. And then putting spin on a like if you're playing ping pong, it's putting English on it. Right. There you ah, go. There so you, you gotta go. put English, English on your spin. electrons that induce a spin, so they go around the corner on the trace. Is that why you have? Is that where you get the imperial electrons versus the metric electrons? Metric, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Though knowing the English, they probably use imperial electrons because yeah. they have a mix of everything. Yes. So. Um, oh, so yeah. So <laughs> the reason why I do nineties at this moment. In my routing, because I, I always do different steps. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, first, we'll just place the parts out, and then I'll start routing the critical traces. And I just map those out by just doing 90-degree lines, because I can go back later, and it's easier to edit a 90-degree line than having to change a 45-degree line. And Because when you move a point up on a 45, it doesn't make the line 45 anymore. Oh, yeah, right. It's now... 72.3 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, that exact angle. How do you learn this stuff? Just from scratch you just by doing it or is there a good source for someone who wanted so to I learned learn all from scratch um, I had a background in drafting mm -hmm. um, I took drafting in school and and learned Autodesk uh, AutoCAD 2000 was what we learned on and I kind of just I was like I want to make a circuit board a board and then uh, I down I went like I looked online and you couldn't, there wasn't, back then there wasn't really any free ones, mm -hmm. but there was one that was called Free PCB. Oh, I remember that one. And it, it doesn't terrible. have, a, it doesn't have a schematic editor. Yeah. So you, I you, drew everything. You, you and go it was straight free, from your head to a finished yeah, PCB. So I, yeah. So I would draw the parts out because it had a library editor. So you could mm -hmm. draw parts out, drew the parts out, and then named all the pins, what they should be called, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I wrote up the net list 
in so I drew the schematic on paper, right? Mm-hmm. And then drew the net list out in um, on paper, and then so I make sure it was all good and stuff. And then I made that into a text editor, and then imported the net list and that made my rat nest on my board, and then I could route it out. It was a hundred percent free. Don't look yeah, at me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes free isn't worth what you pay for it. I mean. I didn't have any money, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you learned a lot in the process. Yeah. Sometimes having not the perfect tool helps you really learn what those tools are doing for you. Exactly. Um, and then I picked up Eagle um, right after that, a couple years later. I mainly picked up Eagle because it was like a more of an old school style CAD mm-hmm. versus all the other programs. And that lended me to like, oh, I know Autodesk 2000 and it has the same kind of you know, right click driven interface and uh, has a command line so you can type stuff in. Like, yeah. I want to draw this line from this point to this point with this thickness, and you can actually type that stuff in. When you're doing drafting type stuff, it's nice to be able to do that because you want to know, you want to be able to type in an exact number yes. of how far you want to move something up or down or whatever. Yeah, the, um, I actually like when I was routing the, um, the, uh, that connector for the Raspberry Pi, I actually just wrote a little, script that I ran that dropped all the vias for my ground pins. And so all I had to do was just click once on each area mm-hmm. and I was able to route the old like 118 pins in one go. So that's a lot of pins for one go. Yeah. It, it's amazing what you can do if you just know a little bit of scripting. You're very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been learning Python. That's been very right. dangerous. You have been dangerous, yeah. but useful. Yeah, you've been, useful. You've been uh, doing a lot Dangerously of data, useful. data research for us, data which research. has been useful. <laughs> data? Data? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got the um, – so, yeah, going back to the other thing, which was, you know, I just picked it up. Mm-hmm. I think that's – it's probably not the best way um, to – do that it's only like if you were really really motivated to right. learn that way um uh chris gamble has got a really good series called contextual electronics oh yeah mm-hmm. where he basically you walk through and design boards and keycad and i i'd ha- i actually looked at it before to see if it would be you know should i recommend this to people mm-hmm. um and yeah it's really good so cool so if i wanted to learn how to route boards like a pro that's where i'd want to start Cool. Or pro enough. Pro enough. Yeah, pro Pro-ish. Pro-ish. Um, so, yeah, the, the, it's almost – well, I won't say it's almost done. I, the netlist is done, which mm. is as long as I route it correctly, it will work. Right, because you'll know everything's <laughs> connected where it needs to. Exactly. <laughs> so I spend a lot of time basically combing over the, the schematic because the schematic's got like, oh, at this point, six years of hacks and mods Oof. and, you know, changes of just my style changes mm-hmm. as I've, you know, gotten better at routing boards and um i looked at it and i'm like i could go back and change all this but it would take a long time or just ignore it and i'm just going to leave it until the next thing we have the same thing happen in software where you've got a program that started off nice and clean and shiny and simple and oh we need to add this edge case or that edge case and by the you know like after years you're you've got this great big hairy messy ball of spaghetti and oh yeah you're like wow if i could do this from scratch i'd do it so much better yeah that that's how i'm feeling but i'm like that's like two weeks of afternoons 
fixing and i'm like no i'm not gonna do that no so get this one out and then you can start fresh on a nice shiny one with the next ref exactly the what's that one called the um pinatar the pinatar that's the one after this this is the end of the line so pinatar is we actually we've been doing some work on that board too so um Basically, look, you know, doing research on like what FETs we're going to use because we're going to go more surface mount. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get rid of all the transistors. Oh, that'll be so much easier for manufacturing. Oh yeah, um, we'll probably cut like sixty bucks just in assembly costs. I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to go surface mount parts for those. Um, we'll probably get rid of the light matrix. Mm-hmm. So instead of ha- that's like, you know, a fifth of the board real estate will free up because of that. Um, we're going to get rid of anything that runs off five volts will go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll pr- probably do a, cause that gives, we'll be able to get rid of another internal plane and we'll mm-hmm. be able to compress the design from the six layer to a four layer board. That'll make will, it a little more affordable as well. Yeah. And, uh, mainly in lower volume and higher volume. It doesn't really matter. Not as much. much. You're Not right. As much. You're right. Um, cause it's still going to be, if we could compress it to a two layer, there'd be a lot of cost savings, but um, we actually, I think Rev 5 was a two-layer board, and we just had so much, um, like, ground loop stability problems mm-hmm. that we're just like, we got to go. We got to have you a need solid that big plane. plane in the middle. Yeah, especially with a board that big. I mean, this mm-hmm. thing's 14 inches by 6 inches. thing's huge. Yeah. It needs to be penalized all by itself. Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, I think it hits the line item number, mm-hmm. Yeah, too. It's like, what, 16 line items? Mm-hmm. Something like that. It's a lot. Yeah. That's, that's another thing is on the next... The Pentatar is going to crunch the line item number down and get rid of some of the bodges mm-hmm. of like how the 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 GI, which is general illumination, works with the cabinet I/O. Mm-hmm. They are the cabinet I/O uses seven four HC one six fives, which are parallel in the serial out, and then the general illumination uses five nine five seven four HC five nine fives, which is serial in parallel out. And their protocols are really close to how they work, clock, latch, and data. And so we actually use the same clock and latch information, but the latches have to be inverted oh, great. between them. Mm-hmm. And so we have a, a binary inverter on the board. And it's like, I was looking at that on, on Friday night, and I'm like, ah, why do we actually do that? So that now if so you go with fun. one standard part for both, you don't need that yep. translator. Yeah. In the middle. Or you just make them separate mm-hmm. buses. So, All or together. I was actually thinking about just using spy bus, a spy device, mm-hmm. and then that way I could just have an address that we just call, and it's whatever which one, and that way we can actually add, keep adding more if we right. need more down the road. Um, like actually put like a header, and then we can plug in. Oh, we need sixteen more inputs for cabinet I/O for some just reason. Just another address. Yeah, we just have another address, so it'd be nice and nice and slick that way. There's a lot of little things um, to do in the Penetor version. That's really, it's a lot of it's like quality of life increases. Mm, right. Make <laughs> your forward. improve Parker sanity improvements. Yeah. Um, but end of the line is basically what we'll call it end of the line because it's the end of this iteration of the pinheck and anything else after it is going to be a complete wipe start over. Right. Um, yeah. Cause a lot actually looking at like the pick, how I designed the pick 32 I look at it, and I'm like, I really want to change that because I don't like how it looks. <laughs> well, sometimes you, good design often looks good. Yes, it, it does. usually does. Yeah. It, well, it, it turns that one, that screw in your brain mm-hmm. just right. This one's done right. Yeah. You know? 
There's got to be a name for that. I haven't a clue what it would be, though. Yeah, there's got to be, like, some mm. Latin It's name. probably German. Oh, German, yeah. They were engineers. <laughs> okay, so we'll go on to the RFO. And we've got two topics this week. Very we good. have the uh, Tesla semi-truck. I guess we can talk about the new Roadster, too. Yeah. Well, the, the, they unveiled the Roadster from the truck, didn't they? Oh, I, I haven't I seen the video I yet, I but video. I, I, uh, I read somewhere that they did a like a Steve Jobs type moment at the end. They, they showed the truck and they were talking about how awesome the truck is, which the truck is pretty awesome. Let's let's just have okay. you seen the pictures of it? Yet? I've seen some of the pictures. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, and um, I think it's just great from a environmental and economic standpoint. You know, we spend so much right now on. Uh, fossil fuels moving stuff around on the roads and being able to do that through electric, you know, with electric yeah, and most vehicles. Most of it's just junk people just throw away eventually. Right. Yeah. Trucks full of Amazon boxes. Yes. <laughs> um, I actually wonder what percentage and weight is packaging. Oh, well, they've, they've worked very hard in the packaging world, I'm sure, to oh, yeah. make all of that it. extremely light. Like you get the bags now. Instead oh, it's a instead of peanuts and uh, right. Um, bubble wrap and uh i guess that used to use like crushed paper yeah so now you're just shipping around mostly air yeah but so it takes up volume yeah but not weight yeah so um so yeah the truck looks pretty cool and then they did at the very end they said oh and there's one more thing and they pulled the roadster out of the oh yeah out of the truck and i forget some of the stats on the uh the roadster but like it's just insane from a performance standpoint. It's like zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds yeah, or something, something like that. Something just silly. Yeah. So, but. So the truck, it's got a um, so fully charged. They don't have a lot of statistics about this thing yet, um, which is kind of normal, I guess, for big tech unreveals and stuff of this nature. Um, but it's got a 500 mile range, which is, mm-hmm. it's, that's Quite double. Respectable. It's double yeah. my Jeep. Sure. <laughs> Well, your your Jeep gets like two miles to the gallon after all the eight, stuff you've eight, added to eight, it. Twelve. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I I exaggerated. Um, and then it has a um with the current technology that Tesla currently uses, it can get about eighty percent of its charge in thirty minutes, which gives that's, it about four hundred more miles. Yeah. That's impressive because all they have to do is you know top it off when they're stopping to get something to eat or well, actually, when they're loading and so unloading stuff. I was actually reading up about this, and what makes this great in that regard is um, truck drivers have a federally mandated 30-minute break. Oh, there you like go. A, like lunch or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's it right there. And so you can go 900 miles a day, and then that's about all a driver can do anyways. Right. Um, but I was thinking about that, and I'm like, okay. A roadster can do that because your 240 outlet at 50 amps on your wall can pump that power out. Mm. You're gonna need substations yeah, at these each are some... of these truck stops to to do this. If you have like 18 trucks pull up and they need a, yeah, that's some serious power. Oh yeah, I want I want to run some numbers on like how much actual kilowatts this is is using. So we'll, we'll write this down for a future date. Is mm. like how many kilowatts are in these batteries. And then in 30 minutes, how much are you transferring out that socket? And these are the, the these substations need to be run by the same people that are running these the truck stops today. Yeah, that's a little scary. Yeah, <laughs> little little nuclear reactors at each of the different. Yeah, exactly. Because um, you got to think know. like a normal truck stop probably doesn't actually pull that much power. 
Yeah, some lights and pumps for the gas. Yeah. And then uh, all it is is that, you know, I, another truck with gas or right. diesel shows up and fills it up. Um, Maybe and, we need new trucks that are driving around. There's great big batteries on the back. Oh, delivering batteries. Yeah. Maybe. It depends if this if this battery tech is removable or not. It's right. probably Looking at Tesla's, it's not a serviceable part. Mm-hmm. You have to take it to a dealer. Um, but, yeah, and they got some stats on, like, a 100-mile route. The Tesla semi-truck only costs $1.26 versus $1.51 for a diesel truck, so it's cheaper in that regards in terms of operating costs. Once it makes sense in dollars... Yeah, it'll happen fast because yep. there's so much capital expenditures out there. Well, that I, it just, it's not just the dollar count, though. A, a dollar amount is there needs to be what I've been finding out, especially here in Texas, because we don't really have like we don't have Tesla dealerships mm-hmm. because of reasons in Austin, Texas. Um, but like getting your Tesla service is actually kind of a pain in the butt in Texas. Mm. So if you don't have a you like you have to go to like an authorized dealer to get it fixed. Sure. Right. And. Um, I have one of my friends has a Tesla and he has to take that thing in like every month to get stuff fixed. Eeks. Yeah. Um, so that's not good. So it's like they already have like these quality control issues and mm-hmm. now they're expanding to basically industrial fleet vehicles. And so they have to, st- I think they have to step up their production quality. And then how are you going to like, if you just go down the road here, there's like four places you can get if you had a semi truck you can get right. it serviced you know they're gonna have to implement that basically all over the nation where these trucks are going to be going well i imagine a lot of it will be will still be standard truck stuff like your suspensions and um some of the air brakes things like that yeah. so that probably you can get serviced probably. anywhere yeah but anything drivetrain related you're going to need the special yeah, te- tesla, tesla magic a tesla guy yeah maybe they just send out like a tesla certified guy to each of these locations Instead of coming up with their own, yeah. I mean, the the good thing is you have these truck stops. Yep, you can just send and, them there. Yeah, so you've you've probably got some um, uh, good places. Yeah, that that you can put these things. And then you could also, because you were talking about, you know, the people who run the stations have to run run the the um, substations or whatever. How will they power mm-hmm. them up? Um, but they can have that guy do the same thing. He can just maintain right. the, the system there. He's running the nuclear reactor. Yeah, then nuclear he, reactor. Then he, then he comes over and wrenches on your uh, Tesla truck Tesla, when he's yeah. done. So, yeah, we'll see how much it costs. I, I actually never looked to see how much a semi-truck costs. Well, they are expensive. I would imagine it's so. It's basically a mortgage if you wanted to get into that. <laughs> I, I think that's what most people do. They sell their house and yep. go into trucking. Mm-hmm. So, My cousin's oldest is a truck driver. Oh, yeah? He does the long-haul stuff. Huh. Does that sound glamorous? If it's a, a different it's kind a of lifestyle. lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that it would be for me, but um, I think it's perfect for him. Yeah, he it's a it's a good deal for him, but uh, I don't think I could deal with it. I think it would be something about you get to see a new city. Well, new until you come through the same route again. Right, and... Um, and you're yeah. seeing a lot of the interstates. You're not really getting to know the cities. You're That's seeing true. That's true. interstates and truck stops. Yeah. We get to see a lot of the Midwest. Yeah. Nothing. Flat. Flat. <laughs> like Houston. Flat. Like Houston. Yep. Okay. So topic two is the Ember Light, which was a Kickstarter-backed company. 
Oh, no. Um, and they're shutting down. So what Emberlight did was they had IoT-enabled... Yeah, he's grimacing already. Um, sockets. So instead of a light bulb, like a hue, mm-hmm. I don't know. Y'all have hues? I'm familiar with okay, them. Okay, so yeah. it's, that's a light bulb that's got all the gizmos inside of them. So what they did was they put the gizmos inside the light socket. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, this instead one. of the light bulb. And so you would have to put new fixtures in, but you could use any light bulb you right. wanted. Um, pretty good idea, um, but they're shutting down because they're out of money. Right. Um, and they they already everyone that got their stuff. So it's not because of, you know, they ran out of money. It's just they said market pressures and mm-hmm. all the, you know, like Philips and GE are already moving to the space now. So it's like really hard to. It's hard to compete against. The I didn't compete with the, the volume scale that GE has. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's their basically their problem is they're shutting all their services down. Well, when when you want to turn on your light bulb, it's got to go talk to their server. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! And so all their devices will stop working. So, do you, do you know yeah. if there are any plans to like release stuff to I open source so. or anything like that? So basically, if you've bought one of these things, and you installed are, it in your house. So it's not like a light bulb where you can just replace. Unplug light bulb. it. You need to get an electrician to come out and most people uninstall yes, it. You'd have to get an electrician. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's not good. But it's not. It's it's just I. It's it's this new thing where you don't really people need to realize on these kind of devices you don't own the device since you're tied to their service right technically you own the the device but you don't own the infrastructure that it needs correct so you're you are beholden to whoever it is that you happen to uh sign up with yeah and it's like you know um it's not even like oh i'll just buy ones from bigger companies i mean look at blackberry blackberry Mm -hmm. was the number one cell phone manufacturer uh what right before the iPhone came out and the iPhone destroyed them and Android came in and gobbled up the rest of the market share. So like even these big companies can easily succumb to this kind of problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's, I was thinking about like, how would you solve this problem? Like if you were, if you were the manufacturer, I guess you could open source it, but that then relies on someone being smart enough to figure out how to run your server. Right. And start up the service. So even if they open source like the code, like their server code, probably it would take a while for someone to actually get that working on, let's say AWS, so that mm-hmm. almost anyone could maybe use it. Like click a button to start up a AWS instance. So during those couple weeks, you don't have lights on. Right. And the <laughs> challenge is that the devices are looking for a specific host on the internet. And if that host goes away, you're done until you can somehow get control over that domain. Otherwise, I mean, there are things you could do if you're a hacker to, you know, spoof it and tell it to you know, yeah, look manage local, to, to yeah. hack it and get new firmware on there. But, uh, and I, yeah, it's not good. I, if, if, they were responsible and i i don't again I'm, i don't know enough about the the situation mm-hmm. but um, I, I i just know enough to write down the two right. sentences I it would be down. really <laughs> nice if they were to have some sort of exit strategy for people that yeah. are left with these devices because ideally what would be nice is you say okay look we're our servers are going to be shut down on such and such date and here are your options you know you can switch to this other service you can if you want to 
control it yourself from software in your house. This is what you have to do. Have the yeah. have a procedure written up to do that. Um, I think that would be the the nicest thing you could do for, or the least you could do for people that have you know backed you up to this point. Yeah. So I was thinking about um, kind of like a more you know this is just gonna keep happening. Sure. Um, this that we actually I think we covered this like last year we had some uh, like revolve or something like that went out of business too mm-hmm. and um, shut everything down. They were like the precursor to Nest, something okay. like that. Yeah. Um, I probably I probably messed up that story, but no, but it, it someone would, was sending an email in. Yeah, it would be nice if when you get these Internet of Things devices, there was some way out that you could you know yeah switch to a different server at will. Well, I was, and it's got to be. It's not just that though, because not everyone's going to be like most people. Some people have problems typing in a Wi-Fi password in. Right. Um, so I'm thinking something it has to be at least simple enough of just plugging in a box. So maybe like a local area right. network box. Or an, or an app you can run on your phone that will somehow find yeah. these devices to connect to them. And yeah, because I was thinking it's like a box, like a modem. So you plug it in, and then it, you talk to it with your phone mm-hmm. like you would normally do. Sure. And then you could also probably make that box as a bridge to the other styles. Right. So as long as you can get around the proprietary however they talk. So that way it, it, that, that um, Ember-like can also be used on the same network as the uh, like a hue light bulb or there are there are services out there right now that do that so that you can have um, uh, a mix of devices Mm -hmm. all controlled from one central location and basically they are emulators that act like a hue hue light bulb so that you can control it through all the normal hue light bulb stuff but then it just turns around and, and reformats the commands and you're actually turning on your TV or your yeah. X code or uh, whatever. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, something like that that's just like a you plug it in next to your modem and it does everything. Yeah. And maybe make it like you, you put the app on your phone so you can configure all the stuff to your phone, make it easy. Um, yeah. It would be nice. Yeah, someone build that. It's a million-dollar idea. Because uh, then if that – the person who builds that goes out of business, that thing still works. Right. And if you do it responsibly, you know, make sure there's uh, decent security, which seems to be the the weakest link with all of this IoT stuff. Yeah, so we were talking with John Adams, who's IoT. Well, he's not IoT security, but he does a lot of security stuff. Mm-hmm. And his, his solution is it's only, it's as weak as the default configuration because that's what it's going right. to stay in. Right. <laughs> so just make it, you know, decent enough to start mm-hmm. without being too much of a barrier to get started yes it's a there's a sweet spot in there somewhere mm-hmm. i was thinking like you can just use like a randomly generated password mm-hmm. the problem is typing in randomly generated passwords suck um, we actually were making jokes about that earlier today because I, I generated <laughs> right. like a 16 character um, the 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 way to memorize your password. Yeah, yeah. Apple, yeah. apple, orange. Yeah. So let me. Blueberry. I, I got. I took a picture of it just because how ridiculous it was. Um. So I'll read out. So it, it was a randomly generated password, sixteen characters long. Um. Would had it had special symbols and all this mm-hmm. other stuff in it. And it was like V N S E. So I didn't use this password for anything. So this is not like a super secret password. That I'm right. Using. Right. Um, V N S E up carrot left curly brace 
F exclamation point M nine Q B three left uh, left parentheses uh, percent sign S. And so to remember that was Visa nut Skype egg up carrot left parentheses fruit exclamation point music nine queen Best Buy three blah blah blah. It's like we should make that the re- title of this episode. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, look, I've actually used this website a lot to generate passwords because makes pretty good ones mm-hmm. and i'm looking at this thing and i'm like i couldn't you won't even remember that <laughs> let alone the original 16 characters right <laughs> forget about it <laughs> well we all know how to get into your bank account now yes yes so that's good um and so i was thinking like if you made a, a password like that that'd be it'd be pretty secure for right. our wpa password but the problem is you have to type that thing in which would be paying the butt so just put a QR like in, code. Yeah, I was thinking, and your app would have it built in as a scanner, and so you just take that snapshot of it. Because, you know, if someone gets physical access to your device, it's going to be game over game anyway. Game over anyway. Yeah. So it's like if you just put the password on the box, that's fine. Um, yeah, that's so yeah, QR code. Scan that's that. acceptable to me. Yeah, scan that guy in, and then that's at least better than password as the password. Right. <laughs> or no password. Or, or no or, password. Yeah. Um, how many how many Linksys routers out there are out there with the same password that everybody just all left open? Yeah, all of them. <laughs> I think it's starting to curb a bit because now we have these. Um, that when you get a modem from like Comcast, it right. has built-in Wi-Fi, so you don't have your own modem anymore or router. Mm-hmm. And those passwords are usually fairly robust from the get-go. Keyed to the serial number. I've seen a lot of yeah. them. Which is, it's not something you can easily guess. No. There's some barrier to entry. You there. can guess that you're a really good guesser and should play the lottery. Yes. <laughs> or you just blew your one chance to win the lottery on guessing Don't. the Wi-Fi password of your neighbor. <laughs> Whoops. I chose poorly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. I think that's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Oh, wait. Okay. Oh, Iris yep. is telling me to say something. Yes. Oh, yes. Episode 100 is coming up soon. This was 95. So in five more episodes. Um, episode 100 will be here, and we are doing a Q&A. So submit your questions to Iris. Um, Iris at macrofab.com. There you go. Or support, or in the Slack channel, or podcast at macrofab.com. Lots and if you ask really nicely, we'll even answer them. Yes. Well, I'll answer them. Yes. <laughs> Parker will answer them. So cool. Um, and, yeah, and next week is the hardware meetup here in Houston. Yep. Um, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good bunch, and we're going to have – it's a legal session. Um, I have no idea what they're going to talk about, though, besides a Law. lawyer is going to talk. And lawyer stuff. Yeah, lawyer stuff. Fun. Getting your product to market. Ah, getting your product to market and what legal stuff you have to go through. That should be actually very interesting because I'm sure there are a ton of regulations and rules that you need to think about that – you know, yeah. if you're just in the garage trying to come up with a great idea, you're not aware of. I think the biggest one is what happens if your device burns someone's house down. That's a good one. To that's know. one's always. That's like the one question that always prevented me from like building something and put cell on it. <laughs> right. Does, does, what happens if you burn someone's house down, or you've completely, you know, polluted the the airspace and the surrounding area so nobody's cell phones work anymore or, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you know all that good stuff so was it um this is off topic but i guess somewhat related when they were testing the first atomic bomb mm-hmm. in uh, uh in um los, uh, los alamos yeah um 
some some scientists thought when the, the bomb went off, it would immediately um, basically change. It would burn all the oxygen mm-hmm. in the atmosphere or change it in some other way. And like, I guess if you blew the bomb up, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, because no. everyone would be yeah. War would be over. <laughs> yeah, war, the war would be over. <laughs> Nobody won. Yeah. That's kind of a that's a liability right there. Yeah, you know, you might think of burning something else down. What do you you just burnt the entire world down? <laughs> yeah, I don't think insurance is going to cover that. Yeah, well, the insurance policy for the U.S. military, nineteen forty four. Oh man, cool. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dillon and Mike Williams. See you later, guys. Okay. Bye. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic that you want Stephen and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us on iTunes. It helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.